0: What a wonderful blessing to be able to be here together today. I thank all the men who've done the preparation, preparing our minds for the Lord's Supper, preparing the songs that we've been singing today, the prayers that have been offered. It is a blessing when we get to be together and encourage one another with the words of God and with the words that we share with each other to keep us focused on the Word of God. I'm grateful for so many that are out today. I know COVID is a daunting thing to think about but you've made the effort to be here. What an encouragement that is to me. For so many that are online as well, we just can't be out, all of us, we wouldn't all fit in here. If everybody that's online and we're here, were together, what a blessing that is. And we're praying for God's blessing as we're looking for a new meeting place to meet the needs of this growing congregation. But the way this congregation is growing is because we're studying God's word and we are being convicted that we need to be encouraging one another and encouraging those who are without to be turning to the Lord especially at this time. And people are thinking about how short life is because all around us we're seeing the news of those who have, who have died. The text we're looking at today emphasizes death over and over and over again. If you've begun the reading with us and in are our, in our trying to read through the Bible this year, we've gone through the first week, and no doubt you've come across some of the lists that are in the book of Genesis. And this is one of those, this list of names. So I want us to think about this first longer list here in Genesis chapter 5 as we are studying through this theme of death that rocked the world early on right after the first sin. And so I think the first thing we can notice as we look at Genesis chapter 5 is the value of all Scripture, even these lists. You may be tempted as you're reading in your daily reading to just kind of jump over these, to read through them really quickly. There's a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. It's no fun. But they're there for a reason. And I want to encourage you as we're going through this year of reading to take some time and pause over the lists as you're reading through them. There's lots of them. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired of God, is profitable for our learning, for teaching, for exhortation, for the discipline of faith. All Scripture is given by God. And so we need to understand that these lists are not just kind of random names. There's a reason that God has included them. Romans 15 and verse 4 says that the things that were written before time are written for our learning. I want to read this verse because I want you to think about the way it's written here and the way that the Bible has been written to us. Romans 15, 4. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Think about the hope that some of these lists can give us. Kind of strange to think about that because, again, we tend to just jump over those lists when we come to them, the lists of names, the lists of people. But these were real people. This is not some mythological story once upon a time. These are real people that really lived, that really served God, and that God remembered their names for good or for bad. (laughs) And he is the one who chose to put them here. These things are written for our learning. Sometimes we read these these histories in the Bible, I'd rather call them histories than stories. They are stories that really happen, but they're histories. Sometimes we read them as though they were happening that moment and the people were reading about it. But no, the things happened to them and then they were written down later. God revealed the way they were to be written down to teach us something. And so we need to remember that as these things happened, they weren't getting the story that we are. They were living it. But what has been revealed to us is for our learning. The things God chose to reveal, the details he chose to include, And as we go through these lists, it's no different. These things are written for our learning. So we need to learn not to skip the quote-unquote boring parts of the Bible. I'm guilty of that. I've done it. But I've learned as I've been going back and re-looking at some of these lists that there is a lot that God is actually teaching us through these lists. And I want to encourage you as we go through this list to kind of think about some things that God is teaching us here in Genesis chapter 5, specifically today. So we recognize the value of all Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit who's put all of these words here for our learning. So what can we learn from this list of names that we have in Genesis chapter 5? One thing that's fascinating and stands out as you begin to read through the details of the dates that have been included here is that you find out that each generation before Noah, every single generation until Noah's generation, could have heard about God directly from Adam himself. This longevity of Adam, we saw that he died when he was 930 years old, meant that he saw his great-grandchildren down to the seventh or eighth generation. And so I want us to think about that and what that would mean for these people who could have contact with God's first man, who lived in the garden. These other generations didn't. They were kicked out of the garden before Cain and Abel came around. But this man had lived in the garden, and he could tell them about what that was like. And so I want to continue the reading. Uh, Christopher read through us up through uh, verse 5, and we get to the death of Adam at 930 years. I'm going to read through the rest of the text, listen to the pattern that repeats, and listen to the ages of these people and how they would have overlapped for a long time. Starting in Genesis 5, verse 6. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. That graphic there indicates that the year of his death was the year that the flood came on the earth. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah, saying... This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you make a line from the death of Adam down through those generations at 930 years, you can see that every single generation except for the birth of Noah would have been able to have talked personally with Adam. That is if they all stayed together. They could have. I'm not suggesting that the scripture says they did. I'm saying they could have. What could they have learned from this man? (laughs) He could have described personally the beauty of the garden and what it was like to have full fellowship with God. God, we're told in in Genesis 3, came down to walk among them, to talk with them in the cool of the evening. And Adam could have described what that was like. He also could have warned them personally of the dire consequence of sin that had them all in this position that even in their long, long lives they were recognizing that the end was coming, that the promise of death was on them now, the curse of death, because of the consequence of sin. And he could have taught them of God's promise to stomp out the head of the serpent, which he certainly would have told them about, By means of a son who was yet to come. And we'll see that that part of the promise he certainly did pass on. Because the generations were thinking of that. Adam could have taught all of these things. This hope of a paradise that had been lost because of sin. And the hope that one was coming that would restore that paradise. All of that would have been taught by a credible eyewitness testimony of one who had been there. Who had been in the presence of God before there was ever a written revelation about it, Adam could have taught all of these things. And certainly, he did pass this on at least to Seth, who then would have passed it on to his children. Because we see this knowledge going down through the generations. What that shows us is that, in a sense, from the very beginning, from the first time sin came into the world, Adam could have preached the gospel. (laughs) The good news of one seed of man that was coming to stomp out the serpent who had caused them to bring sin into the world. What we really see, though, as we see generation after generation of people dying, is we see that God keeps his promises. We're told in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, that it's impossible for God to lie. When he wanted to confirm his promise to Abraham, he confirmed it with an oath swearing by himself, that by two proofs in which it's impossible for God to lie, he could be more certain about the promises he was making. Hebrews 10, 23 tells us to be faithful without wavering because the one who makes the promise is faithful. We know God's going to uphold his end of the promise. Let's uphold ours as we're serving him. God keeps his promises. We expect that God's going to keep positive promises. When we think about the promises of God, we like to think about the blessings. God has promised that we'll be with him for eternity if we'll be faithful. He's also promised, however, that we won't be with him for eternity if we're unfaithful. But we like to think of the positive promises of God. In Genesis 3:16. he told Eve that he was going to give her children, that he was going to multiply her, her increase. He had already told the serpent in verse 15 that it was the seed of this woman that was going to stomp out his head while he bruised his heel. We see that in Genesis 3 and verse 20 that they accepted that, that Adam and Eve began then to populate the earth, and Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. They accepted this promise that God had given them. That was a positive promise, that there was something to look forward to. We also see that the ancients had hope in this. Adam and Eve continued to to prepare children. In Genesis chapter 4, and verse 1, Eve says, I've received a son from the Lord. (laughs) According to his promise, he's given me a son. Perhaps she's thinking already in Genesis 4, this might be the one. (laughs) Certainly, by Genesis 5, verse 29, when Lamech names his son Noah... He says, this one will be the comfort for us concerning all the work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Where did he get that from? He's thinking of that promise made back in Genesis 3, 15 and 16 that was passed on through the generations to the point that Lamech knew about that promise and thought Noah must be the one. In a sense, Noah was. He was the shadow of the one. He did bring about salvation for the eight on that boat because of his obedience. But as I mentioned, God will also keep his negative, if you will, promises. In Genesis 2 and verse 17, he told them if they were to eat of the tree that he commanded them not to eat from, surely they would die. In Genesis 3, 17, when he hands down the curse on Adam, he says that he's going to die. His days would be counted. And in verse 19, he would eat from the sweat of his brow until he returned to the earth because he was taken from the earth. God keeps his promises. So the wrath of God is revealed, starting really here in Genesis 5 in a repetitive way. Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven among men. All men recognize that death is coming. The end of Romans chapter 1 says they understand that the judgment is that doing evil things means that you should pay with your life. And yet they still do them. The justice and the wrath of God are revealed. And death is one of the great ways that God reveals his wrath against sinful men. And so, these generations are long. We can't imagine 900 years many of these people live, 900 plus. But each generation in this reading usually ends with the words, and he died. 969 years Methuselah lived. Yet what the record says is, he died after all that time. Eight out of the 10 generations on this list, it says, "And he died." But isn't that interesting? Eight out of the 10. There are a couple of rays of hope in the midst of all of this death, that God is holding out this hope. And I told you, Romans 15:4 says, as we read the scriptures, it should give us hope. There's hope, even in this long list of "And he died, and he died, and he died." And that hope is for the great blessing of life, walking with God. We learn through this list, through the simplicity of the way this is revealed, that life's greatest blessing is walking with God. It's actually mentioned twice in the context here. We're told first that Enoch walks with God, and then later, in the other chapters that follow, Noah walks with God. And it's his story that's then uh, that's brought out a little bit more detailed, than it's the one that we remember. But as we look at Genesis 4.16 down through 5.32, really you could go further, There's a contrast between two generational lines to go down through this part of the text. Genesis 4, 16 through 24 is talking about the lineage of Cain. We know who Cain was. He's the one who killed his brother Abel. And then what we're told is he went out from the presence of the Lord. But he went out and he got married and he had sons and they had sons. And we get that part of the lineage in the first uh, part here before we get into chapter 5. We're looking at the lineage of Cain, one who went out from the presence of the Lord, and there's a focus in the text there. The textual focus in in chapter 4, verses 16 to 24, is on earthly things. We're told about the people who built cities and named them after their sons. What about the ones who were the fathers of all who, who play musical instruments, the father of all who develop bronze tools, the ones who live in tents and herd livestock? None of these things are necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but they all have a focus on what can we do here and now. We're here on this earth, let's make the best of it. And that's what we see as the focus in that text, in Genesis 4, down through the end of the chapter. We also see, though, there are sinful practices. Pick up at around verse 19, Genesis 4:19. Lamech, another Lamech, this is from the line of Cain, took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabel; he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold." You see this sinful practice. Polygamy begins here. Murder. <laughs> Boastful murder. <laughs> and this prideful twisting of God's word. Exactly what Satan had done in the garden. We see that Lamech is doing that now. He's kind of quoting what God said about protecting Cain. And he says, but I'll do much worse than that. All Cain's got to protect him is God. Woe to the one who crosses me because I'll take care of my own business. Sinful boasting. Against God. Those are the things that are brought out in that particular lineage in a short list. There's so much that you see that is negative and brings out this sinful arrogance. God himself is never mentioned in that list except for when Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? But what a contrast when we look at the next lineage, the lineage of Adam and Seth, that begins at verse 25 in chapter 4 and goes on through the end of the chapter that I just read a few moments ago. In the lineage of Adam and Seth, by contrast, we have a textual focus on godly things. We start out in verse 25 that that Eve says, God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. She's focused on God. This is God's son who he gave to me. (laughs) And then we're told at the beginning of chapter 5 that they had Seth in the image of Adam, who's made in the image of God. We see it in verse 26 that as Seth calls his son Enosh, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That's chapter 4, verse 26. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And then we're told that Enoch walks with God as we get down toward the end of chapter 5. There's a textual focus on godly things. There's a consideration of God's promises. We saw that in chapter 4, verse 25 as Eve said, God has given me another son in place of Abel. Abel might have been the one that she was thinking of first, but now she's got this son in place of Abel. This might be the one that God's going to use to bless us. And then certainly we already looked at how Lamech says that about Noah. I want you to notice something interesting here. God's restoration of life. He gave Seth in place of Abel who had been killed. Cain has gone off away from God. So there's a restoration of life that's visible here. And then there's a restoration of rest that's visible in Noah. Those two names in the genealogy of Adam as we look at it here in chapters 4 and 5. You have the hope of a new life in place of the old one that was taken and a hope of rest that are symbolized for us here in these two people and in the way that it's revealed to us, the way God chose to reveal it, Romans 15.4. He wrote this for our learning. Are we paying attention? Are we learning the lessons he wants us to learn? And so what we see as we go through chapter 5, and I tried to emphasize this as I was reading, we see a pattern to the lives in chapter 5. Each man lives, has a son, lives some more and has sons and daughters during the rest of his life, we're not told about all of them, and then he dies. That's the pattern. Life, children, a little more living, death. Over and over and over through this cycle. For most of the people on this list, there's no other information given than that. We just see the sort of tedium of life. Can you imagine 900 years, and that's all that's said about these people? There's a reason for that. (laughs) This is what life is under the sun. It's vanity of vanities, Solomon will say later. There's nothing new under the sun. It's this same tedious pattern over and over. There has to be some point. There has to be some hope to life. Our friends around us are despairing as they look at life and think, Is this all there is? It's just this repetition. We're just born and then we're replaced by our children and they're replaced by theirs. Is that all there is? Is it that pointless? If you don't have a worldview that includes God, that's all there is. It is pointless. But that's not where this lineage ends up. Because they're focused on God, the focus of God comes through here. They accept the curse. They understand They fulfill their roles in the hope that the next generation's son may be the one that will stomp out the, the head of the serpent. The next generation may be the Christ. And can you imagine then Jewish generations after generation after generation. As our brother pointed out before the Lord's Supper, they were waiting for this moment when the king would arrive. They didn't know when it was going to be, but each generation lived in the hope. Paul told the Pharisees that, that he's being judged for the hope of Israel, for the one who would come and would take their sins away, who would reign over them. So they lived out their lives, this course of life, in hope because of the generation that was to come. 1 Timothy 2.15 intimates that the role of woman in childbearing will bring about salvation. It's interesting how the wording is there in 1 Timothy 2.15. The concept there is not that you have to have children to be saved, but it's by accepting the role and performing the duty of motherhood, raising a son that perhaps will be the one Well, that continues today. The Christ has already come. But women who are dedicated to their role, raise children who serve, can bring about salvation to others as they teach and as they carry the word on. There is still a purpose to our continuing in this life series here. But this pattern, as we're reading through chapter 5, I hope you notice this, all of a sudden the pattern changes when we get to Enoch. There's all these people who lived, had children, lived some more, and died, until we get to Enoch. Because Enoch lives, has a son, walks with God 300 years, does not die. God takes him. The curse is broken. As the pattern is broken in Enoch, the curse is broken in Enoch. What made the difference? Along this list, what made the difference is, he walked with God. He accepts the curse, and yet he accepts the curse putting his faith in God. We're told more of this story in Hebrews chapter 11. One of the things I love about Hebrews 11 is that it finishes a lot of the stories that got their beginning in Genesis. We see a lot of these events, Hebrews 11 specifically, is finishing. It's showing us behind the scenes. It's showing us what we couldn't see as we see men acting in the book of Genesis, acting by faith. But we see exactly what motivated their faith more clearly in Hebrews 11. Look at verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And now for us, the exhortation. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch walked with God. He had faith and he knew of the promise that perhaps Adam had told his son about, who had told his son about, who had told his son about, and Enoch had faith in that promise, so much so that he walked with God, that he did his life the purpose of seeking the Lord what's interesting is as you look through that pattern where the other men's lives were having children, Enoch's life was walking with God Paul exhorts us in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 to give our lives as a living sacrifice we need to put ourselves on the altar before God every day that we may be transformed by the renewing of our mind that our life will not be just merely having children and hoping one day we'll die comfortably That our life will be walking with God. That we'll be sacrificing ourselves on that altar. We'll be sacrificing our families on that altar and teaching them to sacrifice themselves on that altar. That we may walk with God. That we may please God and not ourselves. Or as Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3, this is so beautiful. This is what it looks like to walk with God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. tells the Colossian Christians, If you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. And he goes on. But do you see that? There were two lineages mentioned here, the sons of disobedience, the sons of wrath, and the ones who you now are, who choose to walk with your mindset on the things that are above We can choose to walk through this life bitter about the fact that death is coming. I remember when I was younger, I would think like, I didn't ask to be born, and now I know I've got to die. How unfair is that? There's no hope in a statement like that. But as you come across the Word of God, and you recognize what a glorious hope there is, I was born into the hope of being able to live on for eternity. Not to think about death, but to think about life, and to think about the opportunity God has given me. To walk with him now. Help others to walk with him now. And to serve him in a way that he would see me as a friend of God and bring me with him when he comes to restore all things. The pattern is broken with Enoch. It says he walked with God, and Hebrews says, so that he did not see death. This is a hard thing for us to imagine. (laughs) All that generation around him was dying. But you wonder, in the time he was gone, Nobody died yet. He really didn't see death in his generation, nor his own, not that of anybody else's. What an amazing thing that literally, perhaps he did not see the death of human beings. There's only two men in the Bible who have the distinction of not dying. We have Enoch, and we have the prophet Elijah, who was taken up in the whirlwind to be with God. Two men in the entire Bible record, even the Son of God, Jesus, we just, we just remembered that today, He had to taste death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 14 show us very clearly. The very Son of God suffered the things that all of us suffered. He didn't take the advantageous way out that He gave to these two blessed men, Enoch and Elijah. Jesus went through with the suffering. He suffered what all of us will suffer. We're not going to get that blessing likely either. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. Jesus was made to be like a man so that he could die <laughs> because doing that he had paid the price that's really rightfully mine and then be able to say that the penalty for sin had been paid and he could put that on my account and save me from having to taste that death eternally. What an amazing thing. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, that is, the promise of the seed who would come and destroy the serpent. But he came and he destroyed the serpent by dying. But he outwitted the serpent because he then resurrected as the Son of God. Something else we see in this record in Genesis 5. He did not see death, but he really didn't start walking with God that early. He began to walk with God at 65 years old. I've heard some people say, well, you know, walking with God, that's for old people. 65, when I get old like that, then I'll start thinking about walking with God. Well, if you think about it, in a generation where people are living 900 years, To be 65 and walk with God would really be like being six and a half. if we give ourselves credit for living about 90 years. It's never too early to start walking with God. Some people might have said, Enoch, you're you're such a young man, and you're already going to start thinking about these eternal things? Why don't you live life a little? Have some more sons and daughters. Live! And Enoch said, I'm going to walk with God. From 65 years, he walked with God for 300 years. Has it been a long 2020? <laughs> Has it been a long 2021? Have you decided maybe you're just going to give up walking with God because it's just taken too long? <laughs> it's just not comfortable to walk with God in a world that doesn't think about Him, doesn't care about Him. Tell Noah about that. <laughs> His generation, by the time we get down into chapter 6 of Genesis and start seeing what that generation was like because of the sons of Cain and others like them, who was a horrible place to live. And yet, There's Noah walking with God for 500 years. Here's Enoch who did it for 300 years. How long will God ask us to walk with him? What a blessing that we have young children here that are learning to walk with God from early on. And my prayer is that they'll walk with God their whole lives. 300 years, not going to make it that far. What we see with this is it's never too early to begin walking with God. Enoch was was a youngling, compared to the others. Or maybe it's never too late to start walking with God. 65, we've recently heard about Grady's grandmother who in her 90s obeyed the gospel. I knew another lady who was 92 in South Carolina when she obeyed the gospel. And we think, that person's probably already given up. Well, it's worthless now. Why why start this late into life? I haven't done it up to now. Oh, I've done so much that God can never forgive me. Yes, he can. It's never too late to start walking with God. The day to do that is today. That's when we make that decision. Enid began to walk with God at 65 years old. And he walked with God all the way till the end. And that end, God was merciful. He said, come on, just come with me now. He gave him rest early. What a blessing for this man who had made himself a friend of God by doing God's will and putting off the will of the world. Romans chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 says to be faithful until death, then you'll get the crown of life. Well, Enoch didn't have to taste death to receive the crown of life. He truly understood what it was to live in the presence of God. I pray this has been an encouraging walk through chapter 5 with you. These lists in the Bible are amazing. The deeper I dig into them, the more things there are to find. The more you see how God has revealed these things for our learning. I want to encourage you to dig in deep as you're you're reading through with us. I pray that you're reading through the Bible with us on that reading list. It's been an encouragement for my family to begin already. We're looking forward to talking with you more about these things as we have opportunity. But if you're not walking with God, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting until you get older so you can do that? You feel like you're too young to really start thinking about serious things? No, you're not. And the longer you wait, the harder it's going to become. You feel like maybe you're too old? Uh, your life has already been a mess. Tell you what, when I looked at my life at 27 and saw what a mess it was, I decided I'm already too old. I need to do something about this now. It's not going to get any better. And the only promise we have that we know that all these men faced was death is coming. Unless you embrace the promise of God for life. And life in the one who has taken away the power of the devil because of the death that he died so that you don't have to you can decide today to walk with God. We'd love to help you do that. If you're not a Christian and you are willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, to come forward repentant of your sins and have him washed away in baptism, we'd love to help you do that. If you want to study more about that, we'd certainly love to help you do that as well. If you are a Christian and you've dedicated your life to walking with God, but you haven't been doing so well, if you need the encouragement, I know this has been a tough time and we're stuck at home, a lot of us, there's not a lot to do, but we can be serving God. We can be praying for each other. We can be calling and encouraging one another. There's a lot we can do. Let's walk with God starting this day. If we can help you to do that, let your need be known. We're going to sing this song for your encouragement.